as an industry we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Jared Trail, current lead programmer and co-founder at Rainbite. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Jared. How are you? Good. Yeah, just chilling. Keeping busy in these crazy times? Yeah, yeah, just working, playing games, all that. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we're going to dive into some of that sort of stuff a little bit later on. Uh, yes. This is, this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from all around the industry. They share their experiences, their stories, and basically the journey that kind of led to this current point. Now, before we get to your experiences in the industry so far and the games you've worked on and developed and, and some of your other gaming-related passions, uh, I thought I'd rewind back to the very beginning, before the career itself even began, and talk about some of your first gaming experiences. Do you recall what your first game was that you played? Um, it was probably missed. It's something that would have been really, I would have been really young, and I, I wouldn't have properly played it. But I'd be like yeah. playing with my dad. But I, I didn't have consoles for ages, so it would have been like either that or like those educational PC games, like oh, yeah, yeah. pajama beanies and those sorts of things, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, classics. Yeah, they're good. Um, was were there any particular favorite franchises or titles even that just popped up as you as you grew up that you really attached yourself to favorite genres or anything like that? I mean, I, I think with because I, I, it was pretty much PC for me early, and I didn't get a console till I was twelve actually. PS two was my first yep. console, kind of sad, but I played at cousins' places like um, Sony and PlayStation was my early console stuff, like playing Crash or Spyro and that kind of stuff at, at cousins' places or friends' places, but. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, uh, the, the times where I, I felt like I got more involved when I got my own console and I was able to play my own stuff was, um, I guess, Jack and Daxter and that kind of thing was probably some of the ones that I got most attached to because I had the most time to play with them. Or on the PC side, where before I had the console, it would be stuff like RuneScape, but yeah. going back to it, it doesn't hold up as well, <laughs> I feel. Uh, yeah, I spoke to someone the other day that said they have not stopped playing RuneScape since it first came out. Now, firstly, I called bullshit on them, but if, if, that's, <laughs> if that's true, holy crap, that's like I, yeah. I couldn't stand it back then and thought it was primitive and rubbish back then. I can't see that. It, I can't imagine it being much better these days. No, it feels like a bit of a time waster. I feel like you know when you're a kid, you have so much time. You're just able to play something where you're just kind of grinding out. But now I'm well grinding in other ways. But you know. Grinding out platinums and, and all that. Platinums so. and, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll dive into those gory details a little bit later on. Was was there a game or even a selection of games at all that kind of helped steer you towards getting into games yourself? Or was it something that you kind of stumbled upon? Like They, they were kind of separate things. Um, well, I guess, like, first, there was nothing... There was no game in particular that I thought would let me make games. Because initially, like, in high school, I was thinking, oh, I want to get into doing something with games i guess but yep. i was like i'll be a game tester was like the thing that i was like that's probably the easiest thing Foot in the to door. get into but then um later in high school I, I ended up talking to some people about like oh if i wanted to get into making games what skill what skills should i have and they were like well an easier thing is like are you good at maths for programming or are you good at yeah. art to go into art and i was like okay well i'm pretty good at maths so i'll double I'll down look on into that. that but i I'd, I'd never done um until the university, I'd never done any programming before. Yeah, okay. So I, I, and that's what I only do now, pretty much. So it was pretty different to some other people that were in my class when I got there. But I, I, I never really took the interest specifically to try and make stuff until I got to university. I yeah. hadn't done anything really. <laughs> and, and when you got to the course, and obviously that's that's kind of where the team started to form at that point. But yeah. um, was when you got into that course, did you have? And admittedly, you're still at the very earliest stages of your career at this point. You're still learning and studying. Yeah. But was yeah. there was there a particular goal in mind? Did you have like I want to create this sort of game, or I want to work on this franchise, or I want to? Was there any sort of lofty ambition there that you were shooting for? I mean, I guess in terms of like when I'm thinking like oh, I'm learning to make games, where would I want to work? It's like oh, I'd probably want to work at the big companies of games that I like, yeah. like working at Naughty Dog or something. But then it's you know, you have to, like, move there, most likely, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, in terms of 
meeting the other guys in Rainbite, um, Daniel and Tom, we were like kind of working together over the over the three years at uni, and then worked on our last game project in the third year and everything. And that was kind of where we were like, well, since we're young and we have like not many responsibilities we can try and make our own thing and this would yeah. probably be the best time compared to trying later in life where it's probably more risky yeah for that sure kind of thing uh so, so ha- yeah. how did the three of you so you're obviously you the, all three of you went to the, the same uni there you were you were studying the same software engineering degree is that right yeah yeah so and, and in terms of having like different disciplines i mean we ended up all learning the same courses <laughs> so we, we all did programming instead of recruiting an artist it just kind of we just like vibed more i guess we kind of meshed so we just yeah. went with it and um and daniel daniel was like oh yeah well i'll i'll try get doing pics like trying to get learning how to do pixel and all that kind of stuff and that's kind of how that started and he's, he's just done it the whole time now essentially just kind of learned taught himself kind of thing well i mean it's you know the the proof's in the pudding with some of the games that have come out that he's he's adapting and doing a pretty damn good job i think as, as yeah, purely yeah. a consumer of the games it's, it's essentially to see to see what other people think of it because it is something where it's uh, i guess we, we, when he looks back and it's like oh this is like so bad but it's like because you get better but also like he was just learning and kind of figuring it out but no one noticed no one really knows that unless we tell him that he'd never really done it before because that was pretty much we never did any other prototypes we just like went straight into it and he was just doing it and some of the but, first art he did is in the game in the final game the yeah. final product i mean that yeah. that's that still says everything about his his ability to pick it pick it up and maybe a natural propensity for it anyway that no one would actually know the difference until you said hey he's never done this before yeah i mean <laughs> he, 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 he does have a lot of interest in in older games also he, he definitely like has looked at a lot of old pixel art games and yeah. knows stuff about it but it was yeah just getting into like you know the physically doing it and stuff is, is still difficult and figuring that out but um yeah, that is still a whole other level. It's it's still pretty impressive. Was there a big, like, I guess it's one of those things that may, maybe a better question for years and years on after you've been doing this for ages and you've dominated the industry and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> we'll but see. is there is there some, like, was it was it a big moment when the three of you happened to meet or was it just you're sitting in the same row at uni and just happening, hey, you want to make a game together? Like, was, is there any sort of grand story about how the three of you came together in the first place? I mean... I mean, we only had, like, the one class, like, for, for our uni degree, it was everyone's in the same, the, the same class, the whole, every single class is all the same people, so we were always yeah. in all of the same things together, so we, we just ended up talking some more, and uh, there, there wasn't anything, like, magical or anything necessarily, yeah. like, big that we, it just, like, over the three years, we just kind of worked together on multiple things, um, and you just, like, you help each other with, like, the uni work and that kind of stuff, so you just get to know each other and that kind of stuff, and so... I guess it just happened naturally, but I, I mean, I don't know how much research you have there, so I, I don't want to spoil it necessarily, but there's things no, we did right. at uni that, that, that we created stuff in uni. Do you have information on that or do you not? Uh, I think there's a few little notes actually from when I, 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 th- I think I t- spoke to Tom in an interview years and years and years ago now. So I, I think okay. there was a few things listed there, but I, I don't actually have them handy. I, I was aware of those, uh, some of those different projects. Maybe you'd like to talk a little bit about some of those. <laughs> well, they're not very good, but because um, we, oh, we, isn't we, that where we all start, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean that's the thing because I guess people might assume it was our first game uh, releasing Reverie, but it was probably the fourth, I yeah. guess. I mean, it was the biggest one we'd done, but it was like uh, Daniel's the more business-minded person, and he kind of wanted to set up the business quite early so i'm pretty sure it was the business was created like way before we started on working on reverie or anything yeah um but we'd we'd made we made two mobile games early on in university like a part-time kind of thing just learning how to use um unity and stuff which is what we use at the moment just trying to figure out how all that works and we're like oh mobile games probably like the you like already have the device it's kind of easy to jump into yeah of course um and you can make like a smaller game like a shorter game and so we did some of those, but they, you know, made a dollar, if that maybe total, because, you know, you get like, right. banner ads and stuff like... Yeah, <laughs> it didn't make exposure on mobile is pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we, we didn't know how to market anything. And I mean, you know, still making up as we go, but, you know, we didn't really know what to do with that. And I think it's harder to break into that kind of thing. And we, um, so that, that, that was, that was, those are the two things we did. And I wouldn't, you can't even find them on iPhone anymore, actually. I think they might be on Android, possibly. Well, I mean, Maybe. that's the that's the wild west over there. So who knows? But uh... exactly, yeah, no. And then, um, 
the other project we would have done before every was uh, it was actually part of our uni project that we released for free which you can still get but also it's not great but i guess i say that about most things that i want <laughs> to see in the past now <laughs> well like, I mean, yeah you look back and it's, it always feels worse but um uh, we made uh, like a top-down twin six shooter actually it was one of the ones we made before we made reverie and then um yeah. then that was three and stuff because we had a bunch of artists as well but um yeah it was just i think the biggest thing for doing all that stuff was helping to learn how to use the engine and get better and better at designing the systems you have and even looking back at reverie i'm like oh man some of that stuff's so bad but <laughs> that's yeah that's how it always goes <laughs> i mean yeah you your skills develop and improve over time and you refine your craft and that's 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 a natural sort of thing to I think look back on what you've done previously and go, oh, well this could be better and this could be better. And I think it's also the yeah. the the natural thing that a creative person does as well as they they look back on the final product and and also you hear all these stories about people that just they don't want to let go of the final product until it's kind of taken out of their hands until yeah. you know, that that cutoff date arrives. So I think it's a pretty normal sort of response. I don't blame you there. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a it's an interesting thing, but it's, it's something that's necessary, and it, it means you are, I mean, I guess it means you are getting better if you think the stuff you did before was worse, which is also good, so. Yeah, presumably, it's, yeah, it's also a really good way to look at it. Yeah. How, how did those conversations go at first when yeah, there's the three of you that are all kind of sharing a similar set of disciplines there? Was there an interest in looking to see if you could grab people from elsewhere, or maybe even conversation amongst yourselves going, well, how's, like, can we even make this work if we're all just the same, like, kind of experts in the same area how did that sort of period look as you were starting to formulate what ultimately became the studio and has proven to be quite successful but um yeah how did yeah, that look um, so i don't really know i guess i, guess I gotta think back at the time not that it was that long ago but um it, it kind of did it was more of a thing of like we, between ourselves we were like do, can we all agree to essentially make no money for like a year or so was kind of the main thing because we're all living at home at that point at, which is know, a big question mark homes. for a lot of people yeah and so and so we had other artists we were working with but i mean none of them had i mean everyone at our uni was learning 3d stuff and so if we were going to do it it's like do we is there someone else that we would want to bring on that would want to dedicate that much time and so we all agree between us three uh, yeah i don't really know why we didn't look for an artist probably would be smart but we, we all agreed to just like like we, we can do this for a year we'll figure it out and we'll just do our best and if it doesn't work out then go find a job not too much of a loss there because you know still living at home is pretty cheap so we could afford to do it essentially and we were all in a similar situation we were all like um younger compared to some of the other people in our class as well yeah i guess that does make a big difference and there's a luxury there in having that support structure of kind of home the family to be able to carry you a little bit if you needed to yeah it's pretty much the only way like if i was having to pay rent and stuff i mean i just didn't have income so i just wouldn't be able to do it Um, yeah so it was the only way that it was going to get made is if we had support from family and stuff so that we could stay at home. And yeah, it seemed to work out enough, yeah. you know? <laughs> no, it's worked out pretty well. Uh, so we've obviously mentioned the the uni, the uni projects you've done through uni and so a lot of those are the smaller ones on mobile. How did the, the jump to Reverie actually begin? Uh, well, we actually started working on just like the because i mean we were doing full-time uni stuff but we started working on the idea in the third year of uni we we thought um we started thinking of it and like designing what we wanted to do thinking like what kind of game structure do we want to do in that kind of stuff and like how long would it be you know trying to scope it which we never scoped anything that big before because our uni project was something that was probably like a one hour game if that maybe maybe a bit longer but not just trying to think the time constraints of the uni course as well i'd imagine yeah and it wasn't the only it wasn't the only game we were making it wasn't like the only class we had was making that game at uni so it was like it was kind of hard to judge like how long if we're working full-time can we do this stuff which we hadn't really had to manage any of that stuff before so yeah it's just getting into it was it was i just i don't know how we really planned to do it we kind of just estimated it and it kind of worked out because we ended up doing it in about a year and a bit was how much it kind of took for us to do it and we didn't really cut much i think we cut like one dungeon that we kind of planned but didn't get far into yeah okay well apart it, from that was it was it just that you didn't get the time for it or was there something in particular about that dungeon that you thought no nah, it just just doesn't quite work it was it was probably too similar to something else or like we didn't have any specific because when we had the dungeon ideas we had specific ideas for what would be unique in each dungeon and that kind of stuff and yeah and uh, yeah it, it didn't 
fulfill it necessarily. And uh, and it, it was kind of like we were, after we'd done a couple of dungeons, like estimating how long does it take us to make one, um, including like boss and all that kind of stuff. And can we, how many can we make? But yeah, we, we managed to kind of, that was kind of the only thing that we really cut. Pretty much everything made, made it in, which was kind of surprising, I guess. But That's awesome though. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, for anyone listening who's not necessarily too familiar with uh, Reverie, um, we should probably rewind a little bit to a little bit more of what, the, what the game actually is. Uh, what, yeah. but what were some of the what were some of the inspirations behind the game at all? The first thing back when I saw it, and this again, looking at it purely through a consumer lens back in the day, I instantly thought, "Oh, Earthbound." That was, that yeah. was the first thing that kind of vibed with me. But there's there's other bits and pieces there as well that I kind of learned when I was chatting to Tom as well. Um, yeah. But can, yeah, can we like what sort of inspirations were there for you when it comes to this game? Not to mention, you know, outside of the the game, like other games that might have influenced it. There's also the homeland that uh, serves yes. as, a, as a significant inspiration as well. Yeah, I uh, the the kind of stuff that I guess specifically for me is to, I mean, because a big thing for gameplay was Zelda games, which is. Obviously, yes. we, we don't say that in the marketing most of the time, but, you know, it's obviously, like, the gameplay is a lot of Zelda stuff, and the, the visuals kind of, a lot of people say, like, Mother or, you know, Earthbound. Um, but then Pokemon's a little bit with that as well, even, yeah. I guess, like, the character with, like, a backwards cap and all that kind of stuff, you know, just some of the, some of those little things. Um, a few little touchstones. It's kind of, like, a lot of those older games that had that perspective as well, like, you have that kind of top-down, three-quarter perspective yeah. kind of thing. Um you look at those kind of just like how those control or whatever, but um, for me, I actually hadn't really played many Zelda games, uh, to be honest. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like you I mentioned sl- it yourself, you kind of jumped in at PlayStation Two, and you're more of a PlayStation guy. So yeah, I, I, I never owned that. a, um, I never owned any Nintendo consoles until the 3DS. So I played some 3DS Zeldas, but apart from that, I would, I think, uh, I might have gone back at some point. But you know, it's like it was just like having knowledge of what those things are, and yeah, and um, so for me, the inspirations were just i guess anything else nothing in particular but like some of those things like like pokemon i'd played before because i pc emulator kind of thing you know yeah don't worry we've all been there we can be honest with ourselves it's fine <laughs> you kind of have to when you don't have a not like a game boy or whatever but um yeah uh, I, I had a game boy and i just wasn't prepared to wait for pokemon ruby and sapphire so i, I <laughs> got the rom out of japan got a translated one boom off you go like we've all done yeah, the wrong yeah. thing from time to time sorry nintendo <laughs> um yeah, and and so and so uh, yeah, I don't know if I have anything like in particular apart from those ones. I think um because like I was saying, Daniel has the most retro knowledge. Like I think Tom's in a similar boat to me where he, what he, he isn't super familiar with a lot of that older stuff. So it was like D- Daniel was the one who was the main one leading the like the art design, obviously because he did all the art for it. Yeah, and and just the um making sure the gameplay was what it should be for that kind of thing. Um, but then I, f- I feel like just like you play enough games, you kind of understand what like what it should feel like and what you what it kind of should be even if yeah. like from just any game you've played that's inspired by those games even if you never played those original games like it, you still end up being inspired by those and yeah it makes like, a lot of sense yeah the other influence that yeah i mentioned there is also the the new zealand component there's there's a lot yes. of references to um to new zealand and lots of i mean someone who's not a new zealand local there was a few things that sailed over my head that i understood like okay this is, <laughs> this is meant to reference something but i don't have that touchstone um was that really important to you and the team to make a lot of references to to home? Because we obviously don't see New Zealand represented in gaming much. Full stop. Not but much. There, I mean, you might know of a couple other examples potentially. But yeah, I, there's, there's nothing there's I can. Some. There's not too many. So is that an important it's, it's, thing? It's usually like a part of a game. Sometimes, like you know, it's like a specific thing. Like I think um, Civilization has like oh, yeah, some parts and that kind of stuff. But it's, it's it's yeah. There's not many bases around it. And for us, it was like. Um, just doing it from the perspective we have and I, I, you hope it's like a unique perspective because obviously not many New Zealand inspired games and just trying to take things we know about from growing up or whatever um, putting those into something and having a lot of references obviously to New Zealand specific things but hopefully they're funny in their own way even if you don't get it like it's still a joke that kind of works oh hopefully. yeah no they worked 100% yeah, they yeah. worked there was I mean because it, it was kind of <laughs> like I, I think this is funny how why do I think that's funny? Like, I can. There's a humor here. I'm not a hundred percent across it, but <laughs> but there was yeah, enough yeah. there to still get me in the door. 
because I mean, none of us are. I mean, like I said, we're all programmers, so none of us were writers either. Yeah. And so we were like, "What are we gonna do?" And it's like, I don't know. We'll just like make jokes that we think are funny or whatever, and <laughs> hopefully people like it. Um, people still sometimes tag us and stuff from like oh, there's a good like sand in your crack joke in there. Um, that works no matter no matter where someone's from. That's, that's exactly good. yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's something that we're trying to improve on this time. Uh, you know, Trigwitch trying to trying to get the writing actually like a bit more in, a bit more meaning to it because yeah, I mean, we had a lot of jokes, which were, it, was, it was fun, but you know. <laughs> But you're looking to go a little bit more sophisticated in that way when it comes to this next title. Yeah, trying to trying to connect word? it. <laughs> uh, maybe yeah, but you know, to, to try trying to make it like um more meaningful, more connected. Because yeah, a lot of it was kind of just like one off one off things. But uh, but yeah, it, it was still important. Getting back to the <laughs> back to the New Zealand side of it. I mean, it was it was based around the um the legend of the the what was it, the fish hook the I should know, yep. I should know what it is. it's been a while but. <laughs> But the the fish hook thing was like fishing up the like the South Island all that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe North North Island. Um, so it feels like a long time ago now. But um, just like yeah, looking at those legends and trying to incorporate like Maori language and that kind of stuff into it, and like none none of us are, you know, we're all pretty white people. But yeah, but just like it, it, you're still living here, you still you it's still stuff. something you learn about and that kind yeah. of thing. And so we wanted to make sure it was represented. Obviously, didn't want to ignore it, which would be not good so we we definitely tried to include what we could without trying to you know put stuff in that didn't feel like we knew about it as much like well i mean i you know obviously you mentioned before that you were trying to bring a bring a bunch of jokes and a little bit of levity to things as well but yeah. and again i you know i don't have similar to you i don't have that same degree of background either but um i looked at it and i didn't think that anyone was being made light of in any way shape or form either so everything still felt really respectful um, yeah, we, we, that's what we hope so. We, and we haven't had any complaints uh, from, you know, it's, it's everyone seemed pretty, thinks it's pretty pretty good in that regards, which is, which is, which is good. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so moving on, actually, no, sorry, and one last thing I should probably mention is the fact that the game did get a little bit of traction there on uh, Vita and PS4, uh, mm. and there was, you know, certain little pockets and communities that really, really took to the game. How, what was that like as your first kind of larger game of sorts? I mean, I was one of the... Uh, at least many i was seeing a fair few tweets flying around at the time certainly in a little pocket of friends that i've got that includes you know obviously you know jono and yeah, and, yeah. A, and a few others as well um that uh like we were frenzy going after that platinum early on and there was <laughs> lot, lots of kind of chatter back and forth about you know what was this and how do we unlock this and this so like there was there was little pockets and communities around the internet that were really latching onto the game what was that like when it's your first you know, big yeah, uh, would we call it the first big game, I guess. At that yeah, particular it's definitely point. the f- first thing that actually gained some proper traction. It was the time where we we tried to use social media more because for our uni projects, it's like you're doing uni stuff and it's not even you're not gonna sell it's not it the really. You, yeah, you can, but it's, it's like a whole thing. So we we what we learned from that, and we did do some social media, but trying to do it better. We um, I mean, the Vita thing was the biggest thing where we we'd we posted about that. I think we just posted the the test kit on Twitter. And that kind of did more than we'd ever had for any interaction thing, um, and got Combined. a lot of followers. Like, yeah, yeah, a, a lot of Vita followers, and um, a lot of them still still there today. But um, yeah, th- th- and that was that was very useful to, to get the get the word out, get the reach um, that we that we did get from that kind of stuff. And it, I think it, it was it wasn't something we necessarily planned for, but we we'd all had Vitas at that point, and that yeah. was kind of we were like, oh, it'd be cool to make a game before it dies because at that point we thought it was we thought it was going to die i mean people would say it's dead now we thought it was going to be like no one's going to buy stuff like when we release reverie but there's still games coming out sometimes like not many now but it's still still going the very japanese style rpgs that are still coming out to the platform now that's that's usually when you know a console or a handheld has hit the the end is when you're only getting jrpgs of some sort and they're the really abstract not not even the big core final fantasies or anything like that at this point no but there are there are surprisingly some some big like publishers that are still putting stuff on there in japan but mostly but yeah like some indie games still come out in there and i'm like oh it's kind of cool like a yeah i think it's great well no i mean to your point, that's that's kind of one of the things that instantly attracted me to it as well. I'm like, okay, this is a really cool looking game. It's coming to PS4 and oh, Vita as well. Cool. Yeah. I want to get I want to get around this thing and you know, and I think it probably got lifted up a little bit. And again, this is just me looking on as a as an outside observer. It mm. seemed to get put on a pedestal a little bit because it was I don't know the the next 
great hope for for Vita. For the Vita, That's yeah, the yeah. That, that, um, that was the hope. It was great. Because I, I guess, like, in, in terms of, like, the opposite to what we would have for, like, we're talking about mobile... And it's like, that's like hard to break into. And with the Vita, because there's less coming out, that was kind of our thought that if there's less, it means that you hope you'd stand out more because there's, because you have more of a chance of being seen. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that, that product kinda, is semi-decent, then we're going to be yeah. okay. And I think that did work out. I mean, because if we, if we would have just released on PS4, I don't think we would have got as much people like there pushing it as much um, because it's not as special to release on PS4 as it is on Vita. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and so well, I, yeah, I think there are a dime a dozen on the PS4. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what then kind of caught me off guard, and I, like I said, I desperately scrambled for that platinum. I got the platinum nice and early. Moved on to PS4. Went to it's do a pretty same. short one. Yeah, yeah. You can, get, you, can, you can get I think seven. I think platinums on it probably if you do oh, all the different it, regions and all every, that. every region. But actually, no, with Vita you can't because you can't do multiple accounts on the same. Yeah, you'd Vita have to have Vita. multiple Vitas. You can get like five. I think, or four platinums, maybe on one account. Now, I, I, I have to ask uh, because uh, you've you've worked with, I believe, uh, Greg Miller and the team when it came to some of the trophies there. Uh, is yeah. that is that right? Yeah. So, so we asked them just to look over. I mean, to to be fair, like I had a pretty good idea, and the rest of the team did because we're pretty into trophies as well. Like we knew we wanted it to be co- completed in one run, nothing missable. That's the, the kind basics. of important things for me. Um, and not Which having I any super grindy well. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not having anything super grindy. Um, but then just made sure that he was happy with it because he. It was when we were just like finalizing the trophy list that he sent out. I think it was on a one of the kind of funny games dailies. He was just talking about um, about specifically that like looking over trophy list, and I was yeah. like, "Well, we're very close to doing that, so we may as well send it to him." Um, yeah, and he took it on. That so that would have been a bit of a thrill to work with him in that capacity. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of minor, but then we've also been in a couple of the, the game showcases they've done as well, which is, which is nice as well. Yeah, which is where Trigger Witch, for example, first popped up, but before Trigger Witch came along, there's Rim 9000 as well, which kind yes. of caught me off guard. I, I feel like, and you'd remember the exact timeline, but I feel like it came fairly shortly after, in the grand scheme of things, fairly shortly yeah. after uh, Reverie in the first place. It kind of caught me off guard with how quickly this game actually showed up. Um, what was kind of the history behind that one? So, so yeah, I mean, in, in terms of that, we didn't develop it, we ported it. Yeah. It is someone else's game. So it's like, I mean, I, I think that's clear, <laughs> but, but yeah, so uh, we didn't... No, no, we, but still, like, it's a, you know, you're it's still a very small studio, and you've, you've yeah. just come off your first, again, like, big project. So to, to take that on and then get it out, and again, what was still ultimately a fairly short turnaround was still quite impressive. Yeah, so the, the, I think the, the idea was mainly that we after we'd finished it we were like let's see how much money we make to see if we can make another big project and in the meantime like just ask does anyone want us to port their thing kind of thing so we just specifically asked the guy who made room 9000 like because we we, we looked at like this game's cool but it's not on consoles kind of sad so we were like we'll we'll put it on consoles and just like make a deal with that and yeah it, it ended up working out you know managed to make it work but um it's it's still it's something that it's an interesting process working on someone else's stuff after working on your own thing just like how different that is because having to jump into someone else's code base i never done before and it, it is interesting it took us longer than we thought it would because of that kind of thing um oh which even all the more impressive because yeah i still think it was a fairly short turnaround <laughs> as, as a consumer so yeah yeah quite impressive but it, 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 was, it was definitely good to do that. And I mean, even for every as well, like getting the physical editions with our, with our publisher, you say yourself, it's useful to to have that kind of security. Like where we had a deal that like, yeah, we, we could we could get that. And it gives us like a little bit of security money for, even if it sells nothing digitally, which is hopefully not the case, but you still get something. But it gets you through for, um, for a while. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, that was definitely useful for helping us, especially with Reverie, because we got it kind of early on, that deal, and we were like, okay, it's going to give us, like, we know we're not going to make nothing, which is nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we, can, we can put food on the table and all that sort of thing. It's, it's yeah. a nice safety blanket. Yeah. So when did the seeds for Trigger Witch first kind of begin to get sown? Was, it, was that during um, Reverie, or was it something that even dates back to earlier than that? Like, when, when did this idea first pop up? It was, it wasn't, as far as I remember, I can't, I'm not going to pull it up now. I can look at when it was first, like, um, committed and stuff, but um, I'm pretty sure it would have been after Room. We hadn't even necessarily planned it. We might have talked about it slightly, Um, but uh, I think, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Daniel's idea. Daniel normally thinks of most of the ideas, to be fair. He he normally gets, like, the original 
idea and then we expand and talk about like what we want to do with it um yeah yeah i'm pretty sure it was completely after and we did have one other game which um we did a prototype for that we didn't release and didn't go through with because that was also going to be smaller um and we were like okay actually we're going to dedicate for a longer period of time so let's do a different game because that one wouldn't have worked for a long period of time and so yeah then we just kind of went into it because we just had a few ideas and we just thought this one was the best one and kind of expand on that straight after so yeah it definitely wasn't something that had been around for ages or anything it was something that we just you know looked into after we'd done everything else and decided how long we want to keep going for yeah everyone had that kind of i mean as you mentioned like daniel kind of led the charge at least initially but uh like you all kind of latched onto that idea really really quickly or was it one of those ones that you know still needed a little bit of maneuvering and some small tweaks to kind of find that sweet spot in your minds yeah, I mean, I guess with the initial ideas, they're normally quite basic or they're quite, like, unrefined to start with. So yeah. I'm pretty sure it was just literally, like, witches with guns, and we're like, that's interesting. I guess we'll see what we can do with this. <laughs> I like that idea. And it, yeah, it's, it started off, I guess, that basic, and we we're like, okay, well, what can we do to hopefully make that interesting? Uh, and, like, I guess, is it fun? And we like the idea of doing something a bit more fast-paced, a bit more action yeah, because in general we are gameplay first, which, like I was saying, with every story isn't like a forte. So it was more of like when most of our ideas come around from like uh, I guess like a thematic thing or a gameplay yeah. idea of like is this is this going to be something that's like fun to do? Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, and and so that's yeah. So the idea of it being like a twin stick and, and it being, I mean, the, the perspective was pretty much always going to be the same as what we did for every, just because that's what we could we knew we could do yeah and, and it's an um, opportunity to refine and build on what you've done before as well yeah because uh, i mean i don't know how obvious it is from things that we've shown but it, it is designed in a similar way to reverie in terms of like custom dungeons overworld that kind of stuff um but it's a bit it's like bigger stories more involved in that kind of stuff it's but it's a yeah. uh, it's a it is it is kind of like an evolution in some ways but it's obviously very different in terms of how you play it but just like the design is just like an evolution of that i feel <laughs> yeah i mean there, there was like that was one of my questions actually is kind of the, regarding the the dna of the game there because there's there's a few things for, you know from what limited exposure i've kind of had with the game through trailers or whatever but yeah. okay i can see a little bit of reverie here and here and here but i was curious to kind of know how far like how deep that actually ran so it sounds like there's there's quite a lot of that that core dna that's still there you know other bits obviously stripped away and there's there's kind of a different you know different set of mechanics different intent like you said with kind of a more action focus yeah but there's some of those core tenants that are still there as well yeah i, I would i would say that it's 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 pretty heavily still like a, a similar like core in some ways but yeah like we did change a lot more to be more combat focused worked on way more enemy types with um yeah i worked on the enemy ai a lot more because in reverie the ai was very basic and didn't do too much and the combat was kind of like a bit of a challenge but the puzzles were like more of a focus generally yeah um but in this yeah, it's like they more had me going like, that's for sure <laughs> yeah yeah some of them yeah um but in this one it's more like the enemies and the different combinations and we're trying to make them interact a bit more and that kind of stuff um and there's still is puzzles but it's just like less of a focus because obviously with the gun combat you can do a lot more um and it's a yeah it's a bit more fast-paced and all that kind of thing so it's it's definitely got lots of changes but it's we, we did like the idea of um there's not many twin stick games that are like a story-based thing or even like have like yeah. a custom open world type thing or any of that kind of no, stuff you're right most... they're still really arcadey in a lot of ways yeah i mean most that i see and most of the games we looked to for inspiration for uh like game feel or like the just the look of them and like how how you do twin stick shooting that kind of stuff they are usually roguelikes yeah. or arena-based shooting stuff um which is which is interesting, and and I feel like there is a niche there. Hopefully, there's a niche there that we can <laughs> we can fill with um. I games mean, that... Housemark, for example, showed for the longest time that there's a lot of people that latch onto that sort of twin stick shooting action, and then yeah. If but what I'd probably agree with you on is that their titles, amongst others as well, they didn't have that additional layer of narrative or story or or some of those other systems. It was this purely arcade experience, and that either clicked with you or didn't. Yeah. Um. So to be offering people a little bit more, I think is quite cool. Yeah, it's I I I've really struggled to kind of find twin sticks that that do have story and and like stuff like because yeah, like Housemark did a really good job and they did a lot of arcade games with like you know replaying specific levels and yeah. that kind of stuff. But we're, it's it's interesting that no one's taken that gameplay style and put it into something 
that has more of a story and more of a long term like game to it instead of just having that short loop um, yeah and so we're hoping it all works out but <laughs> maybe there's a reason no one's done it but i'm sure there's not <laughs> no I'm, I'm sure it'll work out just fine uh, uh this is probably the, the time to kind of reference the fact that yeah uh, you you brought john on board to help out with uh and sorry for anyone listening uh john peck i'm maybe john yes. i'm sure you're maybe listening right now so i'm sure he'll listen we'll, we'll chat later and I'll, ta- I'll talk about finders fee for you but um <laughs> uh so yeah, like how did that come about? Looking to bring Jono in um, and kind of in, work on that narrative in in some way. Yeah, Feel free I mean, to hang as much as you want on him here. It's fine. It's no big deal. It's horrible. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> no, he, he's great. He's helped a lot. Um, he's a big part of what makes the story better. Because initially we were like, oh, we'll just do the story ourselves and we'll figure that out. But um, after doing his podcast, after putting him work after yep. Reverie's release, that was where we were. Um, we just started talking some more after that and, you know, playing some games, Division 2, that kind of stuff together. And then we um, just talked so like frequently. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and so we ended up talking some more and then he was just saying he was interested in doing that kind of stuff. And I knew he was a writer. I bought his book and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, um, he seemed like he was interested in doing stuff for games, that kind of thing. And so we were like, well, we can do that. We try to, you know, figure out an agreement to, to get him to come on board and it's made the story a lot better because <laughs> initially it was it was always like not going to be our priority and now i mean he tweets about it sometimes but it's at like twenty thousand words or more now probably more yeah okay it's, it's flying it's, a lot i think reverie was maybe six thousand or eight thousand words or something well one thing that i must always credit john on is he doesn't do thing in doesn't do things in halves whether it's putting in work his professional career the family yeah. the writing for the game he, there's never like he's he's going in a million miles an hour which is fantastic and um, I'm sure it'll benefit the game greatly. Yeah, he's, he's always right. editing, always trying to make things better on the, the script we have at the moment. Um, got to stop him at some point so we get translated. But you know, <laughs> he you can't know, help himself. He's learning. No, it's good no. though, and, and so he's, he's 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 doing all that stuff, and he's doing some sound effects as well because it's just like some of those things that um it should help us get through a bit quicker. Um, yeah, makes sense. On the side to do that. Well, yeah, I remember him talking talking about it years ago. I went went for drinks with him at one point, and he was just talking about how like he'd be he'd love to be able to kind of take what he'd been doing writing wise and turn it into some sort of game. And this was years and years ago, so yeah, yeah. presumably well before any conversations between you guys. Actually, probably even before Reverie. Now that I think about it, um, yeah, but like he was loving the idea of being able to write for a game at some point, and it's it's worked out nicely for him. So and seems like it's working out nicely for the team as well. Now, yeah, if we cycle back to the game a little bit, uh, one thing that I'd really taken a fancy to, and we're obviously talking twin stick shooters and the like, but I was thrilled to see the weapon wheel um, okay. pop yes. up in, the, in that as well. Uh, how, how, did, how did that idea kind of pop about? Because we think about a lot of the arcade games, and it's you find a weapon and that swap out what you had with this new with this new tool. In this case, yeah. you're kind of going old school weapon wheels i guess they're st- sort of coming back a little bit thanks to the likes of doom as well mm. but um how did that idea come about to try and implement the weapon wheel in here it did take a bit of it took a little bit of uh figuring out getting to that point because some some of it is that we also wanted to do we wanted to make the whole game playable drop and drop out co-op as well yep. so you can play a second player at any point and weapon wheels aren't as great when you got two people but we found out a way i think that works decently well but i mean the reason i guess the reason we have a weapon wheel is because we wanted to have the guns be upgradable and so you can spend your currency on stuff so you can upgrade the guns as you go and the the way that it made the most sense is you have the guns the whole way and maybe even similar to reverie like you get an item and you just have it forever yeah um we were like well then if you've always got it on you it's like you can access any of them like we didn't want to necessarily limit you and it's i guess it's different to something like um like I'm pretty sure into the gungeon and nuclear throw and those kind of games. Yeah, it is you can only hold like two or something. Yeah, I think yeah, it's there's kind of they, yeah you can toggle between the two. But but with that kind of thing, it's obviously a roguelike, and you're picking them up and you're just keeping them temporarily. But for us, it is like a you're holding them on for the whole game, and the fact you get to upgrade them, being able to access any of them is good. And it is actually a, a part of the design that we wanted to make it that as you go through, certain enemies can be beaten easier with certain weapons and. We want to encourage weapon swapping a lot, so being able to quickly access those things was important. But in terms of it actually being a weapon wheel, we thought about it, and then we like unthought about it, and we we're like, oh, we'll use the D-pad, but then you have problems with walking and swapping weapons, and yeah, okay, right, yeah, and like 
because we, we, we had that we had the d-pad and then we had like a quick swap on the the shoulder button but then you have the d-pad is, is a bit of a problem and then the weapon wheel's good you can have a slow time in your single player and you can take your time to kind of pick what you want for the situation and i mean obviously playing games like doom or whatever it, 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 it does feel good being able to access everything and you're not in a rush to access the things which is nice um yeah it makes sense yeah, yeah, so yeah, we, yeah we, we thought, we thought it was drastically differently yeah um so we're cycling somehow back to kind of funny again but then you got to debut the game on the kind of funny game showcase so uh what was that like um i i recall when when greg was first talking about it was basically just putting the feelers out there anyone who wants to you know show their game reach out to us so i assume you just pounced on that straight away was there a bit of umming and ahhing at all or yeah i mean it was it was pretty much we were like may as well try to get the get in there because i mean uh, we, we're hopefully going to get into into some other ones as well, but we're able to get in there before and just trying to get into there again. We just applied the same way, and he, you know, they took us in, which is good. <laughs> hopefully, get some, you know, more people to see it and that kind of thing, get noticed. Um, Did it's you get a, some decent feedback off the back of that? Um, it's kind of hard to to tell what the follow through is for that kind of thing. Like um, in terms of like followers or or people knowing noticing it, like like maybe later on someone will be like oh yeah i saw it originally but they didn't necessarily follow you like maybe it'll pop up yeah, on the okay. store and they'll buy it but um but i'm sure it definitely it definitely helps to just get the word out some more you know it's it's always useful to to have to have it be anywhere really <laughs> to have people yeah, talk about it yeah any, um, anyone who's prepared to showcase it probably a big deal yeah yeah it's yeah it's, it's, it's definitely helpful and uh, it is great that we've been able to get that because <laughs> there's, there's not too many places that are not massive that are doing those kind of showcases really that we yeah. Could get into yeah true and uh geez and i wouldn't even want to imagine what it's like these days for anyone who's trying to like in a you know similar position in their project and trying to get their game out there in the same way to be even more challenging at the moment yeah yeah it's pretty tough because especially yeah like everything's online so if you want to get shown it's it's like you've got to be in an online thing so the competition is yeah. probably even harder to get in those kind of showcases really yeah it'd be pretty fierce it'd be Good, good luck to anyone who's in that sort of position. <laughs> well, hopefully we can get in something big, but we'll see. <laughs> now, I kind of want, because we've obviously focused on the games and the project and the studio a little bit, but I'll kind of zero in on you a little bit again. What's it been like for you as as the studio and the games have started to roll out and you've started to become a bit more established? Are you starting to feel quite comfortable in this now? Like, Do you, do you kind of have your sea legs, for want of a better phrase? Are you still... Where are you kind of at as, a, as an individual kind of looking at this games industry now and within your local New Zealand game development scene as well? Yeah. Um, I guess, like, it, like for me individually, like, I, I'm feeling comfortable doing it. Like, it's, I mean, it's kind of weird because I've never worked anywhere in the games industry apart from at home and my own stuff. So I don't yeah. know if how different it is to be somewhere else, but it, um, I'm used to doing it and I've, like, worked home my whole career, I guess. So it's, like, it feels yeah. normal and, like, even, you know, when lockdown stuff happens it's like i'm still just working as normal um, yeah fair enough but uh yeah in, in terms of in, t- in terms of like i f- feel like local stuff it's like I, f- I feel like we i feel like we are impactful i feel like we because there's not too many console games that come out in new zealand and i feel yeah. like it, it we are proud to have like been a part of that and be able to like go out and switch to ps4 and vita but it, it um it does kind of feel weird to still be like working at home, I guess. And there's definitely bigger studios that have popped up since, uh, in terms of like employees and that kind of stuff. And it, yeah, it is interesting to feel because it feels kind of to me the same as it's always been kind of thing, you know. Because know. of your working situation, actually hasn't changed. That yeah, still feel like it's kind of early days and yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's it's interesting. But like looking back, it has it has been a while. It's been like years and stuff. But it doesn't it doesn't feel like years, but it also kind of feels like it's been a long time. But that's. <laughs> that's how it always is i guess that's, but. No, that's fair have there been thoughts obviously you've kind of pulled for example Jono, and you've had other little artists come in at various different yeah. points but has there been any thoughts to go a little bit more formal i mean outside when we when we subtract the whole working from home situation that so much of the world is kind of stuck in at the moment yeah. let's eliminate that from uh for a moment has have there been conversations and thoughts to let's try and set up a space and try and get a few more people in or are we not quite at that point yet I mean, it's it's nearly always a money problem, I guess, but it's like it's pretty much a money problem where it's like we can't afford to pay anyone full time, yeah. Because essentially, we just split all the profits. But if if we could, then that would be what we would do for the next thing. If we earn enough money that we could afford to do that, I think if it if it was anyone more than us full time, we would probably get a space. Yeah, um, okay. 
but we're not all based in the same city at the moment anyway so it doesn't necessarily help. so there's an extra challenge there yeah that's <laughs> and it's and it's like working, working at home seems to work fine for us overall and there's some things we like to do in person like um usually planning stuff but then when you're working it's like uh, you kind of just work on your own thing most of the time but it's because we all have separated jobs as well there's not too much crossover with what we each individually do yeah um apart from implementing each other's stuff or whatever but it means that um it's pretty easy to to not have that expansion yet but also it's a money thing where it's like if we had more money yeah we'd probably do it but we, we don't so <laughs> so no, that's, that's fair of, enough no completely well, understood yeah now this is this is coming as someone who's not a New Zealand local, so I don't necessarily have the the greatest uh, deal of knowledge on the matter. What is the what is the local scene like? You obviously mentioned there's a few that have popped up that are a little bit bigger in terms of staff and those sorts of things. Um, yeah. Is it a, is it kind of a growing scene? Do you like where where do you guys kind of? Uh, I guess it's maybe hard to speak about yourself and then try and compare yourself <laughs> to others in the scene. Yeah, yeah. Where, where where does you and the team kind of fit in the in the grand scheme of things with how the how the scene is over there? Because it's one of those just for whatever reason, even as an Australian, we're literally a two-hour flight away or whatever it is. Yeah. So we don't hear a hell of a lot um, pop up. Now, maybe that's because I'm in Melbourne and they keep trying to make a big fuss about everything that goes on over <laughs> here. But um, I don't necessarily hear a huge amount coming out of out of New Zealand. There's obviously some really great products that have come out, though. So yeah. what, what is the scene like? Is it growing? Are we kind of, yeah, I, kind of at I, the moment? I would say it's definitely growing. I mean, even from when we started, there, there's... I mean, Wellington seems to be the base of where uh, like a lot of them are, but there are yeah, okay. there are also big ones like um, like uh, Path of Exile and stuff is made in Auckland and stuff like that. And, and there is there is mobile companies that do quite a lot. Like in, like I think Pickbox is probably the biggest game studio yep. in New Zealand. They, they do a bunch of mobile stuff. But in terms of console, there's not too much. Like I think Path of Exile is on consoles now. But um, yeah, it is these days. Yeah. Yeah, and so, so there's some other smaller... Like, I mean, I would say, like, we're definitely on the smaller side because there are studios which are, like, 20-ish people and then there's, like, Pickpock, which is, like, 100 or so people, whatever, um, and Path of Excel people, and um, Rocketworks has a few offices now and they're pretty big now, but it's... Um, so I, I feel like there's definitely there's definitely bigger studios and then there's... I think there is a bunch of, bunch of like, tiny, tiny teams, like us or smaller, and then there's a yeah, couple okay. medium-ish ones that are like mostly 20, people 20 that are, people. I'm guessing like mostly people that are in a similar position to what you were a few years ago where they're coming out of uni, they're kind of forming a team out of that and then go yeah. from there. Yeah. I, I think in terms of the really small ones, that's probably what it is. I'm not sure how some of those medium ones are, but I, I assume they're funded in some way because they're able to hire yeah. quite a few people quickly and that kind of stuff. But, um, uh, Star Cult's releasing the BFF game, the dog one. Oh yeah. Best friends forever. Yeah. 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 Cause that's, so, that's only a few days away as of when we record this. Yeah. So. It'll probably be out pretty soon then, yeah. <laughs> and that's um that's coming out and that should, that, that's that's hopefully gonna be big, you know, that's a switch and PC, I'm pretty sure. PC, yeah. And so yeah, I, th- I think I think there's gonna be it seems like it is growing and there's there's definitely more and more of those kind of studios popping up and hopefully that allows for a lot more things to come out and a lot more things to be noticed. Because yeah, I know in Australia there's a bunch of um there's a bunch of more like more high profile stuff like Hollow Knight and uh, like uh golf story and that kind of stuff but even them in, in both of those two cases and i'm thrilled that you actually mentioned those two because they were kind of they, they actually kind of standing without having spent a huge amount of time speaking to the guys at sidebar or team cherry yeah in in both cases they, they kind of work on their own their own in their own little bubble you've got these big hubs at various different spots especially in melbourne but um mm. there's other little pockets around australia as well but then those two teams in particular they kind of work isolated from that they've got they've kind of got a a team that works whether it's you know three uh, three or four or whatever it happens to be and that's their team and they work within their constraints and they've they've got their own projects so yeah I mean, yeah, I, it kind of shows what's possible regardless of the team's size yeah yeah sometimes it is like development length as well but i was surprised when i saw the hollow knight was made by like it's like three or four people or something and i was like okay yeah. that game's like pretty massive it's like 20 hours or something or longer and it's a small team yeah, it's kind of enormous that one. I mean, they did have a Kickstarter back in the day, which maybe helped them out a little bit there. But yeah, yeah, um, it's it's still really impressive. So, um, and it's great to hear that kind of New Zealand starting or the scene across New Zealand is starting to kind of build in a similar sort of way because that's you know kind of how things started to take off here. You had a couple of big tent poles, and then and then it was kind of the the grassroots that started to come from there, and it seems like country the the development scene over there is on a similar sort of path that's great yeah i mean it, it definitely has like a good um 
especially in Wellington, has like good community. Like a lot of the, we do a lot of meetups and stuff where like a lot of the yeah. developers from a lot of those studios will come together. And to be fair, a lot of the people that were my classmates in uni are in a lot of those studios as well. And so you kind of, I feel like you get to know a lot of people in a lot of the different studios. Um, and I used to go to meetings in Auckland when I lived there as well. And that was, that was where you get to just kind of like see, talk to people. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Just having those little things to, to kind of build everyone up because it is a bit it can be a bit isolating especially working at home <laughs> but being able to yeah I can uh, imagine so yeah. that, that social networking part would be fantastic I'm sure yeah especially when we were out of lockdown for a while um, it was we were able to do more stuff yeah and then unfortunately everything's gone pear shaped again for all of us at various different spots at the moment so yeah, hopefully, yeah. We're at, hopefully we're out of all that soon The next thing I wanted to dive into isn't specifically about your game development, and we did kind of allude to this earlier on. It is uh, a certain love of uh, a shiny trophy that comes (laughs) on uh, the PlayStation platform there. Let's talk a little bit about the the platinum hunting. Uh, Would you go as far as to call it an obsession or just hobby? I I don't want to put words in your mouth there. (laughs) It's about 160 the last I checked, I think. It's something like that, yeah. I mean... I guess I would call it a hobby, but yeah, it's probably an obsession now, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I guess I guess what do you want to know? I just I do it a lot. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, what what is? I mean, again, like I mentioned to you before we started recording, like I I love collecting trophies. I love collecting as many as I can. I yeah. can't get myself into that sort of uh, mind space to then go the next level for for platinums. What is it? What is it about them? And is there is there anything that you kind of take from being so comprehensive with other people's games that you feel helps in any way shape or form for the the titles that you're developing okay i guess we'll start with the trophies in in general i guess but like in terms of why i do it i guess it i feel like the bigger thing for me over what xbox would be is that getting the platinum is like a specific different thing where with gamer score it's like a whole just number and i like being able to get the specific completion of a platinum and i and i i think like it's kind of a 50-50 where sometimes it's like, oh, it helps me find more things to do in a game and adds longevity to it. But sometimes it makes the game worse <laughs> sometimes because you force yeah. yourself to play it longer than you should. Um, yeah, I can appreciate that. Yeah, but then sometimes, you know, you, you just got to do it. Um, <laughs> you, 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 sometimes you just want it. <laughs> the things we do for the games we love. Yeah, yeah. But um, generally I won't platinum or anything because, I, mean, I, I mean, this probably isn't that normal. I know some people do it. But, you know, you start up a game before you buy it, maybe before you play it, look up the trophy guide, see how hard it is, see, like, if you have to play on a certain difficulty, see if you have to do all that stuff. Yeah. And if it's too crazy, I'm like, whatever, I'll just play it as normal. And then I don't even try. But if it's, like, achievable and it's something that I like, like, sometimes I'll think I'll go for the platinum. Like, I was just playing um, uh, Vanquish. Sure, man. Oh, yeah, okay. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll go for the platinum. I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, it's not too bad. But then you have to do it without dying. And I was like, maybe that's a lot of effort, but I don't know, maybe. Oh, <laughs> so, see, I, as soon as I see it, don't die. And that's that's where I tap out. That's maybe the difference between you and I. Maybe, <laughs> I don't maybe, have the uh, resilience can, or maybe skill, whatever. You that, can, uh, you can you usually do. back up your save, which is what usually lets me do those things. Because otherwise, like, I, I'll never do it legit because, yeah, it's too hard. But, yeah, that's fair. But, and then... Um, yeah, the other half is there. Is there anything that you kind of bring from that kind of comprehensive approach to playing games that you feel has helped in any way, shape, or form outside of perhaps your own trophy lists uh, that you've been developing? Is there are there other aspects that's kind of helped with in any way? The things you've kind of discovered? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if like specifically getting the platinum and trophy hunting necessarily helps in designing. I mean, it does in some ways, especially for trophy lists. But like, just being the fact that I do play a lot of a lot of stuff a lot of like you know a lot of the triple a sony stuff but then a lot of indie stuff as well like it is good to just get like a whole range of where people are at and like what is introduced in certain games like certain accessibility options that kind of stuff yeah to see what we can apply to our own thing or different um like like i because even like doing research for trigger which it's like okay play into the gungeon or something see how they do their shooting and moving or whatever and see how we want to do it comparatively or even animation, like how people deal with the same perspective and that kind of thing. And I feel like if you're not playing other similar stuff, it is sometimes you can think of something new because you're not influenced by other people. And it is like, you could be more original, but you could also accidentally copy someone possibly as well. And if you're not aware of what else is out there, you can have, I think it's a problem where if you, if you're not aware, then you may accidentally, yeah, copy someone or 
not be as original as you might think. I think it's good to be aware of everything else. Yeah, I mean, I, I can only see it being a good thing. Like I think developing a game or, or anything, I might add, in a vacuum where you're isolated from what other peers or competitors are doing um, probably is only a disservice because, in, especially, I think, in games more than most uh, mediums, tastes are evolving all the time. Mm. Um, I mean... We were, we were talking about Fall Guys just before the recording started, and like yeah, yeah. that is, at, at its core, it's a battle royale. And yet, everyone's thought about this genre in one particular way. Fall Guys comes along, introduces a whole different approach to the same core idea, and the world's kind of fallen for it. And I'm you know waiting now for how many kind of outside of the obvious knockoffs that are already taking off yeah, the yeah, yeah. Yeah. but um, stumbling guys and all that sort of thing that, yeah, yeah. Um, that are probably on mobile. Like It's probably awful. But... Um, like how that will inspire others. I think to be kind of switched on and, and noticing this stuff can only really help um, developers with their respective projects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that is an interesting thing doing like Battle Royale specifically because it's like, the, I mean, I'm assuming they started making it probably when PUBG just started doing that. Yeah. And, and like you get to that point, you hope it's still relevant by the time you release it kind of thing. And, well, there's that too, yeah. And that, yeah, that you are different enough because that is always a thing where it's like you release like maybe... You, you think of your idea but someone also thinks of it independently and you're developing something and maybe you end up having something too similar but it, and maybe mean, they it, just beat you to the punch or whatever yeah which can which can definitely happen um but yeah it's a it's definitely a good one for guys <laughs> oh yeah and that's a that's a platinum that you're chasing we've just got to get that infallible trophy for you yeah yeah we'll see if i get the explode <laughs> So as, as we kind of cycle back to you a little bit more specifically, is there anyone out there that you've worked with alongside that you kind of look at from a distance throughout the industry that kind of inspires you about the, the way you approach game design or kind of the way you ma- try to manage your time and your projects? Anyone out there that you look at in particular? It's interesting. Because um, I feel like a lot of developers, you don't really get to see a lot of that inner workings of how they manage yep. or even how they develop stuff sometimes like maybe you know there's some interviews where they talk about their processes but you don't usually get much of that and so i guess the obvious answer for me is i've been listening to play watch listen yes uh, and mike, oh, so mike Bethel. yeah and so because you get a lot of insight into what he thinks of like how he how he runs his company and that kind of stuff and it, i think yep. that is it's, it's interesting to see that and he has a lot of good um practices for you know anti-crunch and that kind of stuff and it, it is it's 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 cool to see that kind of thing more visibly through that podcast because you usually yeah like i said i don't think you see that too much from people necessarily yeah because usually there's a lot of pr speak that gets in the way so you don't dive yeah. into those sort of day-to-day aspects that you don't really get to see yeah. someone exactly because they you know you don't get to see the inner workings of what, how people work necessarily yeah that's fair enough too and i mean yeah i'd imagine it's the sort of case uh, especially when you're probably earlier on still in your actual career where you're kind of pulling on different aspects, things that you hear, there's little nuggets. So Mike Bithell might say this and then you hear something from, I don't know, Neil Druckmann over there and then you hear yeah, something yeah. from such and such over here and um, and you're kind of combining all those aspects to help kind of form your own development identity, I guess. I feel like it's also kind of... It's, it's hard from the outside also knowing how much a single person has to do with a thing. Yeah, because maybe they're the director, but like, how much, how much do they have the impact on things that you thought were cool about a game or you liked about? Yeah. Like, maybe it wasn't actually them, and it might be idolizing someone that maybe not not doesn't deserve it, I guess. But like, they might not have had as much to do with it as you think. So I think, it, think. It, yeah, I think it's 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 because it's, Kojima has that thing where a lot of people see that it's like, oh, he made the game, but it's like obviously a whole team made it, and yeah. it's, you don't want to just be like he's the only one that that all the work kind of thing. Like he's managed to somehow find a way to get his name, his name yeah. front, front, uh, front of the case. So good luck to the guy, I guess. But super impressive. But uh, have there been any really valuable lessons that you've kind of picked up along the way? Whether it's um, uh, you know something that someone said that you, that's really you've kind of really taken on board that's really helped see your own development approach, or maybe some lesson through something particularly bad that's happened over the journey. You know, anything at all that really you've kind of attached yourself to has been really valuable and helpful anything about specific things i, I feel like there is something specific but oh, I didn't have know. there been any large uh hurdles that you've really had to overcome through the development of any of them that you just thought oh my god how how am i how am i gonna even possibly do this um that you've kind of had to work your way through either individually or on a te- uh, as a team that you've had to 
learn from. Yeah, I mean, uh, some some of the some of the harder hurdles probably is just like I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things, but the things we were most prepared for for making any of our stuff was we already knew the engine, but then when you go ahead and you're trying to like port to a console, it's all new, new land, like new new you know new things that you're working on, and I feel like that is probably the hardest stuff in. Yeah, it probably would be useful to have someone who could have um, insight into that. Like we've tried to, I've tried to talk to people about that when they're like, "How hard is it to get on a console?" And I'm like, "It's not as hard as you think, but there are parts that are difficult." And trying to yeah. figure that stuff out is kind of difficult. The the, the one thing I guess uh, I would say in terms of specific advice given to me is um, we had uh, Rami Ismail come to our university oh, nice. at one point, and I, I just like talked to him a tiny bit, but he played our game like our university game, and he was like, "Try." Uh, I think it was doubling the amount of enemies and halving the health because it's just more fun to kill more things. That <laughs> was what he said at a specific point. And I don't know if it's necessarily like advice that can go for anything, but it is something I thought about where even for Trigger Witch, where we um we were like, it's probably it probably is like it's more satisfying to get through that instead of having like bullet sponges. It can be good to have yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's 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 no like crazy sage advice, but it's just a little thing that I do remember, <laughs> I guess. No, I think that's quite cool. And obviously, no, as you said, it's you know there's a horses for courses component there. It's not going to work for everything. But, no, um, yeah, yeah. But if you're developing a certain certain type of game, and I'd imagine something like Trigger, which kind of fits into without having gone hands on, it it feels like it would be one of those sorts of games that 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 advice I'd imagine would be really quite valuable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of the only device oh, I can actually sorry, think of. <laughs> it's the only thing I could like directly think of at the moment, which kind of no, no, no. I mean, uh, I, like anything that uh, Rami has to say I'll, to say, people should absolutely take on board. He's, uh, I mean, you said sage advice, but like he's he seems to just churn that stuff out left, right, and center. So yeah. I think anything he says that you latch onto, I think, is really valuable. Yeah. Any particular highlights from the journey so far? Anything you really look back on fondly, upon in particular? <sighs> yeah, looking back, I mean, I think it's one of those things that, like, in the moment, you don't appreciate as much but it's like actually getting to release something is probably the the best thing like get, getting it out and getting the feedback from people saying they enjoy it like we really didn't get that much negative feedback probably the most negative things we got were people like thinking it was too short which is probably the best negative feedback because they want more <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind of a backhanded compliment in a lot of ways yeah yeah um but like, like in the moment it, it, it feels weird where it's like in the moment it's a slow build and everything's happening slowly it's not like the game just comes out it's like you work to making it come out and so yep. maybe on a consumer side you're waiting for one release date but for us it's like we're constantly working to a point and then there's well, bugs there's, day one. there's yep. always bugs obviously and so then you have to fix the bugs and it never feels like it's done done and then when it is done and you you never go back to it again it's already gone and it's, it's one of those things where it's like looking back i feel like that's important but in the moment it's hard to appreciate you know yeah i understand um, yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really thought about it that way. No one's really presented it sort of that way so far either. So that's yeah. that's a really interesting way to look at it. Now, there was one curly question that I mentioned at the beginning of the recording yeah. that I was gonna that I was gonna raise with you, um, and it's how we've been wrapping up every podcast uh, before we deal with social media and all those sorts of things. If there was any one game that has ever existed that you could in some way have been responsible for doesn't have to be you know we don't have to be kojima on the front of the box or you know or anything like that but in any capacity maybe even because there's just one facet of it you think was awesome and you would have loved to have been responsible for that particular part and otherwise the game's shithouse who knows um what would that game be gotta think i feel like the main things i'd I'd think of first is going back to like earlier games but and there's plenty of good reason for that too because I mean, there's, I mean, there's stuff that like, I mean, because it's the most recent thing is kind of what I'm thinking. But you said the Last of Us Part Two, and there's there's those threads yep. on Twitter about people just talking about the glass breaking and all the effort they put into that, all the whistling and stuff. And it's like, it's so cool seeing all that like high detail go into a seemingly small aspect. Um, yeah, that most people just breeze on by, but in fact, there's so much to it. Yeah, I, I feel like I think that's probably part of like social media and it being the thing that is it's a lot more easy to see those things now than for older games so it's like and also it's just like i guess recency where i just like <laughs> it's the first thing i thought of well, there's that recent. but um it's, it's probably it's probably something like that where it's just like like those I, I really like those little polished details and stuff where you where it's like it's, it's maybe something people don't notice but they you appreciate what it is there but you but like you don't notice it necessarily yeah, the, the games that do so many of those really smaller, finer details, right, 
yeah. tend to be the ones that rise above the pack usually not it's not you know guaranteed but tend to be those sorts of games and that's that's why the likes of Naughty Dog with The Last of Us Part 2 and some of their other games and we talk about uh, I guess God of War recently as well mm. a few years ago now Red Dead those sort of games they all it's all those really smaller finer details that help elevate those games above yeah. the rest and why they often get spoken about as game of the year contenders or all-time greats or any of those sorts of things so I can appreciate that. Is the the Last of Us Part Two that game for you? I guess so. Because I mean, like like I said before, like Naughty Dog is one of those things. Where it was like, oh, if I could work there, because you see the stuff they do. Like, I mean, the first thing was like Uncharted One, where it was like, oh, the water, like his clothes get wet, and that kind of stuff was like a whole thing. Um, and then like Snow and Number Two and that kind of stuff, and it was yeah. like a. But like even with God of War, I remember seeing. I think I think it was on Twitter or whatever. Like seeing where they had like the axe and when you hit stuff it like stops the animation but time doesn't stop but it gives it way more weight and impact and just seeing those yeah. little things are like the cool things that if i was to do something i'd want to be a part of like those nice little feel things in a game i feel so what i what i'm taking from this is that if uh either cory barlog or neil druckman get on the phone <laughs> and give you a ring that you're gonna down tools go see you guys <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, off yeah. to santa monica yeah i'm sure we can do that we'll figure something out you know <laughs> we'll just delay trigger work for a few years you know come back yeah exactly <laughs> Um, so as we wrap things up there, I uh, just want to make sure that if anyone listening wants to reach out to you or learn more about the game, uh, that they've got that place to go. So where would they be best to go if they're looking to reach out to you or to learn more about Trigger Witch slash the prior games? So yeah, would, main place is Twitter, but Facebook and Instagram also works for Rainbite, R-A-I-N-B-I-T-E, yep. um, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And then for me, Jared Trail, I'm not going to spell it out, but you know. You may be able to find me. <laughs> yeah, it'd be easy enough to find. Um, but yeah, um, I, think, I think Twitter's usually the best place. Um, well, we have like stuff on there with contact email addresses for other things. But yeah, if you want to see all the information about new stuff, it's the best place. Fantastic. And I guess the last thing, uh, without uh, putting any heat on you for a release date or anything like that, do we have a rough ETA on when um, people might expect to get uh, Trigger Witch in their hands and, of course, the platforms that will be available on? Yeah, so I mean, the the hope is that it's this year, but I guess we'll have to see. This year keeps going. This year is a weird year, and I think anyone could be forgiven if they delay. Yeah, so that's that's not an issue. I would say the latest it would be out is like Q one next year, like if if anything. Fantastic. It but it's 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 definitely approaching approaching the end, and and so far we've got PS four and Switch is confirmed, but we'll see what else we can get it onto. You know, see what other platforms we we want to be able to release on but uh those are the ones we already had kits for and stuff obviously so we can get it on there and get it all yeah it makes a lot of sense so who yeah. knows what's uh who knows what's possible in the future yeah, uh, yeah. that includes going to work on god of war 2 and all that sort of <laughs> well yeah i mean because I, mean, I mean as specs compatibility but ps5 and like the xbox series x probably we just have to wait until we can get dev kits for those things as well yeah but, once you learn more about that that makes a lot of sense yeah 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 well, Jared, thank you very much for coming on board the show and sharing your story and your experiences. Uh, I, I think it's been fantastic to listen to. I've, I've really enjoyed learning about uh, some of that background stuff, a little bit more extra meat on the bone from what I've learned a few years ago, talking to uh, to Tom, learning a little, lot about the, the, the local scene over there. Um, I, I've, I've been really fascinated uh, by everything you've had to say today, so thank you very much for coming on. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Um, and everyone, please make sure to uh, follow all the all the details that were there. Keep tracking the game because it's apparently it's not too far away now. Uh, something to be looking forward to. Um, and as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this century of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Jared's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.